The next day after that, I get a call from Live Nation. Hey, Dave didn't really book anybody. We just threw this together. He didn't book anybody. What are you doing for the next two weeks? Uh, and I had nothing on the books. I was you know, miserable. Like, how am I going to make money this summer? And they were like, if you, you got to drive yourself. But, the, you know, we're doing, you know, Myrtle Beach. We're doing, you know, Nashville. We're doing, you know, all these places. Can you go? I was like, yep. Driving behind a tour bus. So uh, <laughs> putting myself up in hotels myself, making no money, breaking even, but opening for Dave Chappelle in these theaters. Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world. If you learn to weave a network of people who trust you, who feel heard, understood, and valued in your presence, there will always be someone willing to hire you, buy from you, or work with you. So what are you waiting for? Let's go Beyond Networking. Well, hello, Brian Miller here. In case you're new, I'm a former professional magician turned author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Quick update, the Leadership Mastermind is now closed because we filled the group to capacity. The next round opens in October. Head to brianmillerspeaks.com slash join to put your name on the public waiting list. In other news, I've been spending most of my time running private team building and communication workshops virtually for organizations large and small and doing business coaching for small business owners, freelancers, and entrepreneurs. If you'd like to chat about working together, just head to brianmillerspeaks.com or click the appropriate link in the show notes of this episode. And now to the good stuff. My guest this week is Aaron Jackson. Aaron is an extraordinarily talented comedy writer and stand-up comic. She's appeared on Conan, Seth Meyers, and Ellen, just to name a few. I discovered Aaron almost 10 years ago when my friends invited me to a local comedy club for a show they'd won free tickets to. Aaron was the middle spot that night, and yet she blew away the headliner. A few years later, we crossed paths as colleagues when I made a small name for myself as a comedy magician in the college entertainment market. I've followed her career ever since and was thrilled to reconnect on this show. We chat about what being a stand-up comic really means, whether mainstream media still has the ability to make or break a comic's career, self-confidence and validation, how to connect with an audience, and, of course, Erin shares her story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. And it's one of my favorite chance encounter stories in three seasons of this show. Head to beyondnetworkingpodcast.com for links to connect with Erin on social and check out upcoming events on her website. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode for my three biggest takeaways. And now, please enjoy this conversation with Erin Jackson. Okay, Aaron, thank you so much for being with me today. I really, really appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. So I always start with this. If you are just meeting someone for the first time, you're just being introduced to someone you never met before, and they ask you, what do you do? How do you answer these days? Well, it depends on where I meet them. I generally start by telling people I'm a writer. Um, that's a, a nice jumping off point uh, because... I feel like if I tell people I'm a stand-up comedian right off the bat, number one, the conversation kind of just be becomes about that. 
And especially if it's somebody that I'm trying to get to know better, I want to hear more about you. You hear writer doesn't really pique people's interest in the way that stand up does. And then all the questions are about stand up as opposed to getting to know the person and that kind of thing. So writer is true. Um, I write jokes. I write for TV. I am a copywriter. So I um, so, yeah, that's generally what I tell people. So that that really hits home for me, having, you know, my background, as most of my audience knows, uh, yours obviously wouldn't, uh, my background in professional magic for 10 years before I shifted into being a, an author and a speaker and all these things. And I, I used to go back and forth on that when people would say, what do you do? On one hand, magician was a great answer because you were the center <laughs> of attention the second you said magician, right? Mm -hmm. Just people had questions upon questions, but then... By the same token, you could go 25 minutes and it felt like you were being grilled at some point yeah. with just question after question, right? So uh, you're a writer, you're obviously, you're a comedian, so you're in live entertainment, you're behind the scenes. Where do you feel most at home, when you're writing or when you're on stage performing? Um, huh. Probably on stage, probably on stage performing. Um, but for me, I really do enjoy the 20 minutes or the 45 minutes that I'm on stage. And then after that, I'm like, okay, I could take or leave the rest of this, which is kind of why <laughs> I leave with the writer because I'm just, I'm not that kind of comedian that's on and uh, all the time. And I'm not super gregarious with people that I don't know. You know, obviously I want to be kind and, and appreciative of people who come to the shows, but I much rather be in my house writing uh, and so when you tell people that you do something like that, if you tell people you do magic, you got to do magic, right? Like you got to <laughs> do magic right then. I think there's a lot of folks listening who might, who have who've never stepped on a stage, have never done an open mic. And I, I tell people all the time, no matter what industry you're in, I don't care what, if you're an accountant, I don't care what you do for a living. Everyone should do a five minute comedy open mic once in their life just <laughs> to understand what fear actually is. You know, that that, you know, that the things that you think you're afraid of on a daily basis until you've actually had to stand up and and command the attention and make a room full of strangers laugh with nothing but just who you are, um, you know, because I started my magic career doing magic in comedy clubs. And that's where I everything started for mm -hmm. me. And that's a tough that's a tough spot to be as a magician in a comedy club. I, I have to ask you about that. Over the years, many of my comedian friends have expressed something of a. A mild disdain for magicians in general. Do you, do you, do you, I'm not offended. I'm no longer a magician. Do you feel like that? I know what you're talking about for sure. Like when you're, when you're looking through the, the list of who's coming to the club that you couldn't get into and you're like, a hypnotist, a magician, come on. <laughs> like, it's, I'm sure the same way actors feel when they see comedians getting work in front of them that have no experience acting. So, I mean, I think it's just, um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I do, because a lot of us are purists. We're just like, this is comedy and comedy is only this one thing. I mean, a lot of comics are biased against different types of comedy. So it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely know what you're talking about. So that's, that's so interesting. I in the 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 magic community always felt very much like a community to me it's kind of a a, a whole bunch of misfits kind of revenge of the bullied from childhood <laughs> that kind of all really and we bond over like sharing secrets we're not even allowed to talk to you know uh, talk to anyone outside the community about that but what you just described did not feel quite as community-esque Do, does the comedy 
world feel like it's a sense of community or is it really as cutthroat as the uh, the famous documentary comedian has us believe well i think you know comedy it depends on what you're talking about are you talking about the stand-up world are you talking about the improv world like there's just different communities within comedy that i think feel differently about each other they're very different skills right like i'm a stand-up i don't do improv at all, I'm sure I would be awful at it if this if I you know went to do it and started taking classes or something like that. But this, that's the same way. It's 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 so it's. I think stand-ups are supportive of stand-ups. I mean, obviously in the entertainment business, there's going to be you know competition and that kind of thing. But I think sure. generally supportive. Yeah, I think each of those communities is generally supportive within itself. But I I don't know that there's a ton of cross-pollination with respect to like, I don't even know a lot of improvisers um, hmm. and, and, you know, vice versa. I don't encounter them. Huh. Okay. So the way that you, you kind of dance around the topic of, of uh, comedy, I, I can tell that you've, you don't just do comedy and write comedy, but I can tell that you, you think about comedy and kind of what it means. Do I have that right? Or am I just overreading that? I mean, that's probably fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious, just from your point of view, what what does it mean to you to be a comedian? Man, um, well, I'm I'm a bit of a comedy purist and a snob in the way that like I think it means unless you're well, I shouldn't no, let me not qualify it. I think it means creating something from your thoughts and your opinions and being able to generate the laugh, being able to generate a sense of um Oh my God, I, I've been there. Um, I think for me, I, I think it should come from you. So I'm a purist in that way of like, if I know you don't write your material or you're sourcing through other people, it's harder for me to go, well, what's the point of you doing this? The, for me, the joy of comedy is I started it with nothing. I had a thought, I crafted it and, and edited to get it to the point where, you know what I mean? And if somebody else is doing that for you, I don't know how you derive the same joy saying it, but then there are tons of successful comedians that have writers and and I get it if you're writing for the Oscars or you're hosting an award show or something like that, you have a TV show, yeah, other people have to write for you, but a stand-up act, I believe it should be yours. So that's a, you know, that's what being a comedian means to me, like starting with nothing, but your observations and and yeah. So where so you brought up that word observation. I think a lot of people probably, well, <laughs> this this is dating a little bit now. It's like the '90s were a lot further away than I, I keep forgetting. Like they're wow, they're <laughs> far, they're a ways away now. Yeah. I keep thinking the '90s were like ten years ago. Um, nope. Uh, but you know, from, you know, I grew up obviously idolizing Seinfeld, idolizing Ellen DeGeneres, you know, on, on, on the way up, you know, those were the comedians on the rise when I was a kid and I was Mm -hmm. obsessed with, I mean, I, I was, I was obsessed with the, the legends. I was obsessed with George Carlin in particular. Um, but you know, I think from some Seinfeld from DeGeneres and folks like that, everybody learned that term observational humor or observational comedy, um, has the industry stayed there or has it expanded out? There feels like there's a lot more. It feels like there's been a throwback lately. Uh, this is an outsider's view, though. A, a throwback to some of the kind of 70s, 80s, kind of the wilder Steve Martin kind of um, absurdist comedy. Uh, wh- where is the industry right now? Is is there a trend? I wish I knew where the industry was because I would go there. Um, <laughs> 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 hey, industry, where y'all at? No, I um, 
I mean, definitely. And, and that's what another what I'm talking about. It's almost like there are just different silos. That absurdist thing that you're talking about is it sounds to me you're describing the alt scene, right? Which mm -hmm. is a whole different thing than your traditional mainstream um, uh, comedy act. You know, people say observational. I don't even know if in general, like I would even, I, I don't consider myself an observational comic. I think like in the way that Seinfeld is brilliant at looking at things that maybe we all have wondered about and, and breaking those down, I think, um, you know, into just really specific thoughts that are unique. That's a unique thing that he's able to do. I, I don't, I don't do that. You know, I take experiences from my life and then usually they tend to be things that happen in other people's lives because we're not so different. But to me, my act is very specific where his is more um, outward facing. Like, hey, did you ever think about, have you ever wondered why is, and I'm going, yo, this crazy thing happened to me because my mom is crazy. Your mom's probably crazy, right? And <laughs> and so, um, you know what I mean? Just the, the approach to the writing is different. But then again, you have, you have the mainstream comedy scene. You have that alt scene where there are comics that are so super, they have great fan bases. I don't even know who they are, right? And I'm like, what, who? <laughs> but it's, it's a totally <laughs> different scene. You have a more um, urban scene. You have a Latin scene. Like when you look in New York, and, and it's, it's very interesting that they don't often cross for the most part. Hmm. So I don't know where the industry is. There's so many outlets now as opposed to, you know, um, what what there used to be. I mean, there's everybody has their own channel, streaming service, yes. um, section within the streaming service, that there's so much exposure to be had. I don't know if the industry is in one place. Yeah, that that's such a great point. That actually helps me steer into something I wanted to to ask about. The the it feels like uh, sometimes it feels like the internet is infinite, right? It's just like everything that exists in the whole world is there. But at the same time, the internet feels more personal than anything because if you're just into absurdist humor about dogs in Iowa, you can probably find a YouTube channel or a podcast about that, right? Like there's mm -hmm. like such specific things now. And I'm curious, mainstream media is hanging on. Like it's hanging on I don't know how much longer um, when we talk about kind of the gatekeepers. You know, it used to be if you could, you you had to get on one of the three late shows or you couldn't make it. That was how you made it. And now it doesn't feel like that's as important, mm -hmm. uh, but it's obviously still something people aspire to. You, you were recently on Seth Meyers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in February. So congratulations, first of all. Thank that's you. Fantastic. Was it, did it feel like the kind of, like a defining, like big career moment, the way that it 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 maybe ten, twenty, thirty years ago used to to get on a, a late show, or was it just another gig? Well, no, it's 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 not. It was neither of those things. It was it wasn't okay. just another gig, and 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 it's definitely not the career defining moment that it used to be. You know, you mm -hmm. went on Carson and you were famous the next day, right? That was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, now I look at late night as. Um, it's a platform, obviously, to get more eyes on you. It's a, a credit to use to help people know that you're legit to get them into a club to see you. It's not as big a deal, but it's a beautiful tape. It's a person who's famous kind of endorsing you. Um, and if you do well, it's great. And and, and you can use it as a, as a calling card, hopefully, to get more work. But it's um, and it's certainly not, you know, a, a Tuesday night spot. So 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, Seth doesn't, I don't know that Seth has somebody specifically to do booking for his show. I'm, I, I, I know I met Seth. I did a show with Seth and strangely Jerry Seinfeld. It was just a random um, charity show. Wow. Yeah, at the end of January, wow. I did a show with, um, it was Amy Schumer, Seth Seinfeld, some other New York comedians, um, not to not say that they're important, but um, but it, it was a, a great show for uh, Christy Turlington's charity. And I just, I was on the show, Seth was on it. The next day he calls my people and was like, hey, can Aaron do my show? I mean, he just saw me, he worked with me. And so that was wonderful and validating, you know? Um, Wow. But uh, it's it's definitely nobody, you know, when you look at how many people watched it, I don't know how many people watched it in real time, but I know how many people watched it on YouTube mm. and it wasn't, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, that's not enough to make me rich. <laughs> right, right. That that was right. kind of where that 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 question was coming from, is that even even five, six years ago, that was probably still a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that it's, again, not a big deal. Of course it is. And I I, I, I like what you kind of hinted at there, and uh, which was that it sounds like, yes, it was a career boost, but more than that, it sounds like it was personally validating oh, right? as an artist. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did Conan before that. And, you know, mm. of all the late night shows, you know, for me, with him being such a brilliant writer, he just is. Mm. Just to be on his show and have him say kind things was, I mean, and he's on TBS, he's not even on a major network, but to me, like I wanted to do my first late night on Conan for so long um, because I just, him seeing and appreciating what I did, if that could happen, that would mean a lot to me. And and a lot of what sustains you in this, or what sustains me in this business when times are lean or, you start to feel discouraged is knowing sometimes that your peers or people that you respect um, appreciate what you do. I've been on Ellen's show. She's my favorite comedian, Hmm. period. You know what I mean? She saw me somewhere and invited me to be on her show. I still had a day job. But to me, it meant like, Ellen knows who I am. I should maybe quit my day job. She asked me on the show, are you still going to work? Do you, are you going to keep your job? And I wound up a couple months later quitting it. I was like, Ellen said I should quit my job. I'm like, she didn't really say that. Um, <laughs> but she asked me. She asked me. Um, but yeah, I think wow. a lot of it is that. Do other comics respect what you do? Do they stay in the room when you're on stage? Do they give you tags because they like where your, your bit is going, people that you respect? Um, to me, those are the important things. Wow. Okay. So I... This is this is amazing. This is fascinating. I'm 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 I have so many places I could go and ask. I just have this big smile on my face right now. And I know I can first... see you. You just can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can't see you. I have I have your headshot though on your website that I'm pretending I'm talking to right okay. now because I like to know who I'm talking to. Um, but here's what's funny. So first, was Ellen as wonderful as she seems? She was. Yeah. Thank God you said that. Yeah, okay. she was great. So to I me. can now I can just now I can just continue you always you always just wonder a little bit about the people who seem overly kind like yeah. in public like are they really that kind um but everyone i know who who's had a chance to meet ellen uh, has all said the same thing so that's great um but what you just took us through in, in the span of you know a couple of minutes you mentioned ellen discovered you invited you on you weren't even a full-time comedian at the time um you, you know you had a day job uh, uh, uh you worked a gig you, so you got invited to do a charity event that seinfeld 
was doing and Seth Meyers was doing and Amy Schumer was doing. You you know, you've been on Conan, all these things. So And nobody all... on your that's listening to this podcast still knows who I am. That's the point. <laughs> well, okay, so so right. So there's there's one thing, right? right? There there's a really interesting thing where I think there's a lot of people, especially in the hashtag hustle, you know, kind of Instagram culture that think if only I can get to X, then my career will finally, you know, whatever, then I will finally be happy. If only Mm -hmm. I could get the headlining spot at, I don't know, what's Caroline's Gotham, whatever is still the thing, Uh, you know, then my career. But but most of us, those moments, the really success, when I say, quote, really successful, I mean, the freelancers, the artists, uh, even the professionals, the the people who work for a company or organization that climb up the ladder, there's usually not some lightning bolt moment that changes everything overnight. It's usually, in my experience, the result of a lot of years of showing up over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And yeah. so I, I, I normally wait until later in these conversations to ask you this question um, directly, but the the one question I ask everybody is, can you tell me a story of a chance encounter in your life or career that had a lasting impact? Uh, it, it, it could be as small as I randomly met a woman on a five-minute bus ride. We had this amazing conversation, and I don't even know her name. Never saw her again, but it changed my life somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be something monumental like how you met any one of those people that managed to, you know, decide to trust you uh do you have a a story that comes to mind i mean i it it's so recent um and i and i won't say it changed my life but it definitely gave me some perspective uh i uh, i attended and graduated from howard university uh in washington dc and so this past october i went to howard homecoming it's a big deal every year and um i was at this party and i was pretty (laughs) intoxicated but I saw a DJ walk in that I'm a fan of, a DJ and a record producer that I love. And um, and he's also a college professor. His name is Ninth Wonder. He teaches, I mean, he's 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 brilliant, he's talented, he teaches at North Carolina Central uh, University. Um, and I saw him walk in and I thought, should I say something to him? Because we met many years ago. We met, I shouldn't say, it was maybe like seven years ago, maybe. Um, I was, uh, it was, Dave Chappelle had just decided to come back after his hiatus and he was, um, he was going to do his first tour in however many years. And he was just taking a little step by step because he was about to do this big festival. I think it was Eyeball years ago. And, but he was going to make his comeback there. But before that he wanted to tune up. And so he did this tour of the South, just, you know, Southern state tour for about, for a couple of weeks. And uh, so that was happening. So I was living in Virginia at the time. It was the manager that I had at the time knew Dave and said, hey, Dave is coming through Richmond. Do you want to go to the show? And I was like, absolutely. I want to go to see Dave Chappelle. Uh, He he was like, I'll get you two seats. Then later in the day, he calls me and he goes, hey, Dave doesn't have an opener. Do you want to open for Dave for two shows tonight? And I'm like, what? And I was like, I don't. Yes, but I'm scared. But yeah, so went down to Richmond, open for day. Fine. So the next day after that, I get a call from Live Nation. Hey, Dave didn't really book anybody. We just threw this together. He didn't book anybody. What are you doing for the next two weeks? Um, and I had nothing on the books. I was you know, miserable. Like, how am I going to make money this summer? And they were like, if you, you got to drive yourself. But, the, you know, we're doing, you know, Myrtle Beach. We're doing 
you know, Nashville, we're doing, you know, all these places. Can you go? I was like, yep, driving behind a tour bus. So uh, <laughs> putting myself up in hotels myself, making no money, breaking even, but opening for Dave Chappelle in these theaters. So did that. Um, on the North Carolina leg, which is where this DJ, Ninth Wonder, lives, it's going to make sense. Um, he, because he's amazing and a wonderful musician, and I'm sure Dave is a fan, he is going to, He's going to DJ all the North Carolina shows. He comes in. He's a celebrity DJ. Everybody in the crowd is having a great time before the show. I met him and I just was like in awe. I was like, oh my gosh, this is Ninth Wonder. I've been such a fan. What is this life? And the very first show that he DJed at, I remember posting on Facebook like, oh man, Ninth Wonder is doing all the New York, I mean, all the North Carolina shows. This is going to be amazing. At the end of that show, we were in... Raleigh dorm, maybe. Yep, we were in Raleigh. I got fired from the tour. So maybe like, I don't know, a week and a half in, we were about to go. I had to take some time off because I had another project. I had to take one show off and then I was going to be back. But then they were like, oh, Dave is going to just bring in one of his people. Like now that he's gotten comfortable, he's going to bring in a friend. You don't need to come back whatever. So I was like heartbroken. I was like, I just told everybody that I'm doing all these shows. Da, 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 da. I was so embarrassed. I didn't even say goodbye tonight. And we had become very, like he was just, we had just been talking and he'd been so friendly. And I didn't even want to say goodbye because I was embarrassed that I got fired. I just got in my car and left. So I hadn't seen him since then. I was like, you know, we had, we had talked a little bit online afterwards, but I'm like, he meets a trillion people. So I run into him in October at Howard Homecoming. And I say, should I say something to him? And I just walked over and I tapped him on the arm. And I said, um, hey, Ninth, I said, you won't remember me. My name is Aaron. I'm a comedian. Years ago, we were on tour with Chappelle together. He was like, oh, my God, I remember you. He said, I talk about you all the time. He said, whenever I have an artist or a student who says, I can't do it, this is too much, I tell them about being on tour with Chappelle and the opening artist driving behind the tour bus. We just watched her drive behind the tour bus the whole tour and how that kind of hustle is what you have to have to make it in this industry. Meanwhile, I was so embarrassed that I didn't even say goodbye to him, not knowing that he would remember that totally differently and use it as like to inspire people. And it was just so interesting. I was like, oh my gosh, talk about the perspective in that. You know what I mean? Like wow. I, I had never even considered it. I remember being very drunk um, <laughs> and or high. And, uh, <laughs> but I remember I took a picture and I just was like, this was, this was, it was what I needed. It was just one of those things where you're like, I've been looking at that totally differently for like seven years about how embarrassing that experience was and how, you know, and it just was, yeah, it was, it was, that was really cool. I don't know how life, it just happened in October, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, thank you for telling me that. What, what a story. I, uh, that, that just makes me think about how important the stories that we tell, uh, how important they are. Obviously, we know this as entertainers, as speakers, as writers, that stories are important, but the stories we tell ourselves, yeah, we, we overlook them. And they're so powerful when we shift the narrative just on how we talk about ourselves and, and our past experiences. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it really is. Now, now I have to ask, at the beginning or recently or now, however you want to define this, 
were your friends and family supportive during the grind, during when Ellen said, hey, you know, are you going to quit your job? And you're like, hell yes, I am. And then you did. Like when you had that that moment, and I don't know, maybe that moment lasted years. Maybe it was quick for you. You know, it was long, it was long, uh, uh, long haul for me. It took two to three years before I really thought like, oh, I can actually keep doing this. For like two to three years at the beginning of being a full-time magician, I was kind of like, like every week I was kind of like, do I need to go to McDonald's? Like, right. do I need to get a job? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, were they supportive? Um, Generally, yes. I mean, you know, my mom wasn't, but it wasn't because she didn't <laughs> like comedy. It was just that she wanted me to be okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. And my dad was, de- my dad has a really entrepreneurial spirit and he, you know, he worked in sales his whole life. So he made what he made because he hustled, you know, however hard he worked, mm. he, he that's what he got. And so he understood that about it. And so um, he was definitely supportive when I've had hard times. He's found money for me when he didn't. He was like, you can't tell your mom, you know. <laughs> he would say, so he's definitely been supportive. But I, I think there are a lot of people who were like, okay. Um, and, you know, like the first year I only did it because like you were talking about the college market. I was able to do it because colleges. Like I, I, I booked a NACA national and I knew, okay, I could do it for one year. Because I know for a year, I'll have enough money to live. And then we'll see what happens. And for the next probably decade, it was really hard. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm finally out of space now. And thank goodness, just because of the current situation that like, I uh, have a little bit of a cushion. Okay, so I, I want to pivot a little bit here, <laughs> as we're all doing lately. Um, I want to pivot on this on this to ask you a little bit more about the on stage. Uh, I'm I'm super curious about uh, what do you do to connect with an audience. Uh, you know, what are the the strategies? What are you thinking about when you know when you walk up there and you have this room full of strangers that you know new relationship from scratch and you've got what 10 seconds to get them on your side before you start a 45 minute set how do you how do you connect with an audience uh well interesting i mean what do i do i guess i walk on stage i greet them um warmly you know hey y'all what's going on you know uh and i think the first thing out of my mouth tends to it tends to be something snarky but it's quick and I just followed up with a giant smile. And I think my pacing is such that I, I let people know it's gonna be okay. Like it's 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 um my delivery is um conversational, I think, in a way that like I not to compare myself to these people at all, but I would think that, you know, I always say Ellen is my favorite, but my first comedian, the comedian I've seen most in my life. Um, probably not cool to say now, but he was probably my biggest influence was Bill Cosby. Sure. Um, you know, my dad took me to see Cosby when I was like in seventh grade because you could t- you could take a seventh grader to see Cosby. Yeah. And so the way in which it feels like a conversation, I think, mm-hmm. works for me. And so it it tends to it tends to you know generally be okay in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't end up in the situation that a say a um mitch hedberg god rest his soul or 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 a uh a dimitri martin or somebody who has that kind of you know set up punchline set up punch there's a right. clear ridiculous setup and a clear ridiculous punchline and if you didn't find it funny it's just quiet like like right. watching like i remember 
getting the DVD from Mitch Hedberg's um, Comedy Central Presents back back when they remember when they were, when that mm-hmm. was the big deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the DVD had the uncut, unedited actual filming on it, and watching it going. Oh, he bombed. The show bombed. And they edited it together with, with this whole set he did tacked onto the end where the audience was laughing hard and they scraped this whole. So, I, you know, so that, that conversational style feels less in danger of having, right, of having a moment where people are just uh, like, oh, that wasn't funny and it's quiet now. Yeah, I mean, I address things. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about, you know, if 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 it's not going great, you address, you talk about what's going on in the room a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, at this point in my career, there are ways to get into it. You know, you read, you go, okay, well, this is what I want to talk about, but this is not what they want to talk about, so I'll switch it up. But I'll tell the audience all the time, you're wrong about me, right? Like, if they don't laugh, I said, no, you're wrong. And it usually breaks it, or, you know, you find the little ways. Um, yeah. No, I'm a professional. I know you're wrong. You're you're really bad at being an audience. Um, <laughs> and I don't. I, but I won't berate them in a way that's not funny. I will never do it in a way that's yeah. mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That 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 makes me laugh because I. So my listeners know this. Uh, but my my academic background is philosophy. I have a uh, I have a philosophy degree. I was all set to do a PhD. I was ready. To, I was starting a PhD in in analytic metaphysics. What would my life have been like had I done a PhD <laughs> in analytic metaphysics? Um, but uh, what you were just talking about that kind of the way that you move in and out with an audience and you pay attention to them. But that question you that you just brought up for me is: Is a joke funny if nobody's laughing? And, and, you know, where you said you're wrong about that, right, to an audience. Now, that's very funny. But from a more serious side, I kind of wonder, is a joke funny if nobody is laughing? Is it funny in spite of an audience's reaction? Well, it is when thousands of people have laughed at it before. Like, okay. when I, I know the data shows that that is a funny joke. You're wrong about it. Like, right. <laughs> I just, and, and, you know what I mean? Like, I probably wouldn't say that on a new joke that bombed, then I would go, okay, you're right about that. You're right about that one. Right. I got more. You know, if I want to address it, I do a lot of breaking the wall. I want it to feel like we're friends. Um, and I hope yeah. that that's the vibe I'm able to create. Like I want it to feel easy. And uh, yeah. And so I talk about what's happening in the room. I think, you know, some people are from the school of you just, you power through and you don't address what's happening. But, and then, because if you do, then it gets out of hand or whatever. But I'm, 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 I've been doing it long enough to reel it back in. It's fine. Like it, it won't get out of hand. I know what I'm, you know. I- I'm I'm with you, and I I find my saying myself saying this a lot to um kind of I I do kind of speaking coaching I coach on TEDx talks and stuff like that and I and and you know I have to deal with some of these questions. A lot of the people who give speeches give TEDx talks and things they're they're not professional speakers. They're experts in something right. and they're giving a speech, and that's a very different you know thing. And I find myself explaining that the only way to be confident on stage is to keep getting on stage, mm-hmm. that you cannot just manufacture um, confidence, that confidence comes from experience, and that's it. Yeah. And so it sounds like that just over time, you you can handle if a joke doesn't go well in a way that maybe at the beginning of your career you wouldn't have. Like I know right. for me, like if I had had a if I had if a trick went wrong, a magic trick in my early career, my whole show would have tanked after that. Would have spiraled because mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence to know I could just bring the audience back and laugh through it and keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And then you learn to yeah. trust yourself. I mean, I do 
um, a, a, quite a bit of crowd work. So I'll just, to me, I'm like, I wrote the jokes. I know they're funny. I've heard them all before. So if I can make this new for me, that's fun too. So I'll talk mm. to people in the crowd. And I, I think early on I learned, you know, it, it, it's a skill that I started building early where I just trust myself. If what the person says back to me isn't funny, acknowledge it and find something else to talk about. Okay, so I want to kind of start to pull this on into the end. My uh, Everybody listening knows that there's a couple of questions I've been asking everybody over the last year. My, my head has been really, I've been really consumed by the idea or, or the question of luck. Um, how much does luck play in success? What is the role of luck in success? Now, I don't mm-hmm. know if you see the same thing I do, but I get very nervous over the last couple of years, especially on social media, where I feel like there's an entire generation of young people right now that have seen so many messages about just work hard enough for long enough and you will succeed. And if it's not succeeding, you just haven't worked hard enough for long enough yet. And I get really nervous about that. Because for every one person, I, I feel like for every one person who worked hard enough for long enough and made it, there's there's probably a hundred or a thousand that worked just as hard for just as long and didn't because they didn't get that lucky break, that lucky moment. And I, I think we do a disservice by not at least acknowledging the role that luck plays in success. So I, I, I want to ask you first, do you believe in luck? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Do you? Yeah. Do you feel like you've been lucky? I feel that, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do feel that I've been prepared, you know, as well. Mm. Um, you know, I'm still looking for the big lucky, <laughs> mm. you know, but, but yeah, no, I've definitely been fortunate to have some, you know, some experience, some things come together and out of nowhere. And a lot of times it, I, it's that I'm blessed to somehow see, you know, uh, a check come out of somewhere where I wasn't expecting it when I needed it. But um, in terms of career luck, I, I don't know. You know, I still feel like I'm a solid comedian that is real. I'm I'm an I'm I am a, an underground band, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> maybe one day I get the big break, but I'll be proud of my body of work. You know. But yeah, no, I definitely believe that. I definitely believe that there are so many talented people. When people ask me who I love as a comic, I'm like, I'm going to tell you names and you're not going to know who a lot of them are. But these are some super talented people. But yeah. On that note, then, before I kind of ask you the final question, give you a chance to tell us all where to find you and all that stuff. uh, Do you have... I know this one, I'm going to talk for a second because this one puts people on the spot a little bit. So I'll give you a chance to think. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have one piece of advice right now for young people? My audience is mostly young professionals. It's not the, you know, I know you go on a lot of comedy podcasts, a very different audience. Um, Do you have a piece of advice for, for young people right now that are looking to build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world. And I've been asking this for a year and and a week ago the world became more unpredictable than you and I and any like a defining moment for an entire generation, right? In the actual moment that we're having this conversation. What would you tell a young person right now um who's maybe just about to finish college, just out, couple of years into their career, how do you build a sustainable career in a world like this? Do you mean I mean, I I don't know how you build a sustainable career as a professional in like 
meaning in, in a anything. civilian. So, um, so in, right. So, so what? I guess what I'm asking is, are there mindsets? Are there strategies? Are there tactics that you've found that have that have helped you? sustain this career because you're in a very unpredictable you know uh, I mean it, live entertainment it's not we've talked about it for the last hour I mean it's 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 all over the place anything can happen you can be on tour with Dave Chappelle and be home the next day right so so are there strategies or mindsets or something that you would uh, tell a young person right now that no matter what field you're in here's something that you here's something you need to be able to do or know about yourself to to move through the world well, I'll I'll say in terms of sanity, I mean, because I, I definitely had jobs before, I think it's important to find a thing that you are passionate about outside of your job. And if your passion can become your job someday, that's fantastic. But if you like comedy, if you sing, if you paint, if you like to, I don't know what it is, I think it's super important to pursue what it is that, find the thing you love and pursue it on some level. If it's every third Saturday, if it's once a quarter, but you have a thing to look forward to. I think that's so important because I think I found, that's how I kind of found comedy, right? Like I found it as a hobby and never considered doing it uh, full time, but it was, uh, I had a job that I hated. And so I had a way to just meet some new people to hang out with, get over the fact that I hated what I did for nine hours a day. I think it's important to do that. I think it's important to have an outlet. I do not believe in the hustle grind, um, all the time because people will cut you loose if you give them your everything and then what do you have for yourself so i just really believe that if you find a thing that you love and you keep keep working at it at least you have that to i don't know bring you some peace um perhaps pursue on a on a larger level but also just you got to know what makes you happy i think that's very important I don't That's know if that great. answers the question. It it absolutely does. Really, really, really great. Yes, thank you for that. Um, before I ask you the last question, where where can we find you? Where where do you like people to connect with you? Where do you want them to see your work, watch your videos? Yeah, um, well, find me on on social media. I am at or slash EJ the Comic on everything. Um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, what's the other one? Twitter. Uh, I have a website, AaronJackson.net. If people still go to websites, I don't know. Let me know if they, if, if they don't, because I'll stop paying for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these hosting fees, man. Uh, and so, yeah, so that, and that's, that's pretty much it. There's a calendar on my site for whenever, you know, that's a thing again. And, uh, yeah. So I want to leave by asking you this question. What are you most grateful for today? Man, um, I'm grateful that I'm able to, even if it's not a ton of money, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm able to generate money with the thoughts in my brain, right? So that's, I'm, I'm grateful that I can make something with very little. Uh, I can write and that's where a lot of my income is still able to come in from. I'm grateful that I finally gave in and made a record, which I had not done for the first 15 years of my career. And I made it, um, about a year and a half ago, and it it's the first residual income I've ever had that just shows up in my bank account every month, and it's lovely. Uh, and I just, yeah, yeah, I'm grateful that I can still kind of do my job. I mean, nobody's going to hear me do it, but I can still do it. And, uh, you know, we'll get back to performing soon. But, um, like, I just love that. I, I don't know. I mean, even when it sucks, I love my job and life. So, yeah. That's great. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for that. And we will make sure that in the show notes, there's a link also to your comedy album. We'll make sure that that's there yeah. and your website, should people actually still use those things. And <laughs> um, I don't know, I got a bunch of them. So yeah, you all should tell me too, are we still using websites? <laughs> <laughs> Feels like we're mostly just using LinkedIn and Instagram now. Um, right. Okay, uh, Aaron, listen, th- this has been fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for, for this conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I hope you got to have a slightly different conversation than you normally do on a podcast yeah uh, i did thank you so much this is great what a great chat before you follow aaron on facebook and trust me you should because her clips are absolutely hilarious here are a few takeaways from this episode first the right question is often more important than the right answer Ellen asked Aaron if she was going to quit her job to pursue stand-up full-time. Aaron didn't know the answer right away, but the question was enough to push her over the edge. Second, it's almost impossible to have everyone know who you are these days. Aaron has appeared on Conan, Seth Meyers, and Ellen. She's performed on the same bill as Jerry Seinfeld and opened for Dave Chappelle. Any way you slice it, Aaron's been a truly successful stand-up comic and writer. And yet, with all those accolades and attention, you've probably never heard of her before this episode. Three million people have seen my TEDx talk, and I've only been recognized for it in public once in my life. It, It was a glorious moment. If your goal is to be known to millions of people, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if your goal is to make a real impact on a dedicated group of individuals who truly care about you and your work, that's worth pursuing. And finally, you can work your butt off for a company that's just going to cut you loose at the drop of a hat. So it's really worth finding something you're passionate about outside of your day job. What lights you up? What fills you with joy? It doesn't need to be the same thing that pays the bills. Head to beyondnetworkingpodcast.com for links to Aaron's website and her socials. You'll also find her first comedy album available for purchase. Grab a copy, support her work, and give yourself the gift of laughter. While you're on beyondnetworkingpodcast.com, remember to subscribe to our community email list so you don't have to keep checking your podcast app for new episodes. You'll also be given first access to our private Facebook networking and career development group coming soon this summer. I'm Brian Miller. This is Beyond Networking, and we'll see you next time. (music) 